asking how to go at me because apparently she'd never heard the word genuinely, and I say it about twenty times an hour. You do. Um, <laughs> cool. Hadn't realised. So cool. Genuinely, hadn't realised. So, cool. cool. Right. Um, genuinely. To be fair. I hate you two so much. Hello and welcome. I'm Steve. And I'm Al. And I'm Brett. And this is Fools with Tools, a podcast for the awesome audience. Oh. Oh. Uh, so, guys, how is everyone? What's everyone up to? Steve. But, oh. <laughs> Steve, you go first. You never go first. Go. Uh, I. Sorry? Nothing. Uh, um, uh, I've been at work since we recorded, and I also have finally started getting around to doing something with uh, some of the amazing gifts that I got um, this year. Um, I've got one that I'm particularly excited about, but I'm gonna, hopefully going to be working on next month uh, from Al. Uh, but because we're going away tomorrow, uh, today, um, Jazz, uh, Jazz, Joe, as in Blacksmith Joe, Got me or made me a slowly trading about that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, he is very handsome. He is. Um, yeah, he made me a Sloyd blade for my birthday and then gave it to me for Christmas because Sloyd, he's, he's as good as I am. Sloyd, um, Sloyd. So, <laughs> so he made the blade uh, and I handled it, and it's very pretty and lovely, and I like it. Uh, but I when like I was handling made, it, I like how you made the end into a hook so you could pick. The- <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, but I did kind of fuck it up, and <laughs> that that bit won't be in the video. Um, but yeah, I kind of was a bit fierce with it and kind of bent the end over. <laughs> um, but it's right. I, that meant that I then had to do some hand sanding, which is something I've never done before because why would you? Um, but it turns oh, out Jeff that Federer would be so proud. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so I got that done. Um, and we've got the scalpings down in the workshop ready for the concrete to go down uh, on Tuesday, I think. Um, so by the end of next week, by the time I get back from holiday, um, we're actually going to have a floor. And then Phil from Phil Mixing, uh, not from Phil Mixing, from Phil Your Pockets, uh, is going to be down um, putting up some walls and actually building out the workshop for us. So. Nice. Things are nice moving. Little connection there. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, uh, also, he seems like he he works his butt off just doing what he does. Every yeah, time I watch a video, job. I'm just like, holy <laughs> shit! Yeah, <laughs> what a job. Yeah, bless him. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, so, Brett, what have you been up to? Uh cold. Like I always say, right been up to cold. It's been cold. No, uh, I got some time to organize the workshop, which I know I, I talked a little bit about last time. Um, and just as we're trying to create better workspace, I got the space for the table. So I posted the table build, table build video this morning, um, which was a really quick build and, and relatively quick edit. And I don't know if those, I, I imagine both of those things um spawn from just having done this for a little bit longer now. I feel like I did the workbench tables when we did the shop update move-in thing um a year or so ago. 
And I remember those taking me the majority of a day, but I, I pretty much got the whole thing done in one day. Like video and table build, which usually would have taken longer. So that was nice. Um, I am, I'm in the final throes of getting some of the forged jewelry things done, which I'm actually pretty excited about. Uh, <laughs> the fact that it is as cold as it is in the shop. Jimmy and I were in there yesterday working on a project that he did for a little like shaving accoutrements box. Um, <laughs> we got there at nine and by like three o'clock in the afternoon, we were both just like, I want to go home. Oh, <laughs> this is too cold. Oh. So beyond, beyond just, you know, braving the cold and getting through it, there's a lot of good attitude and, productiveness going on in the shop which is nice yeah so that's it for my end nothing too crazy just a little bit of uh trudging through ow what have you been up to um so after i took down the um, window display at work which was a resounding success yay um i decided to keep all the kind of um, individual units at work because each of the windows are built like a little bespoke set and what What what's nice is we can then use that for other stuff. So we're thinking we might do some like um, fabric installations or maybe some three D stuff and get different nice. artists involved. So I've kept the little stages. Yeah. Um, but what I don't need anymore is like the the curtain rail that I've left behind. So each of the windows had a little set with a little curtain rail, and it was all just like construction timber, like uh, two by threes. Yeah. Um. So I've just got a load of this wood left over. Um. So I took all that home, and next month at work, we've got like a pub quiz, and I want to build a, a bar for the pub quiz. So like build an actual little mini pub. Amazing. Um, like really old school with like sort of dark stained wood and yeah. um, one of those calendars behind with the peanuts on, where you, like, <laughs> <laughs> you remove the bags of peanuts and there's yeah. like a, a naked lady behind. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get like a proper uh, beer tap and everything. So I've just, I've just started designing this bar. Um, just like a really simple, you know, like you'd have at home, like you'd have in like a, a man cave kind of thing, like a home, yeah. a home bar. Um, but I've always wanted one, so I can build it for work. And then <laughs> when, when we're done with it with work, I can bring it home and I can have it in the uh, in the living room and just have like a cool bar with like an, an old school tap. I'm not sure the tap will work. You know, obviously I don't drink enough beer at home to uh, warrant plumbing in yeah. my own beer lines. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll probably set up some sort of hilarious like beer dispensing system in it. Um, yeah, perfect. But even like a little mini fridge and stuff will be cool and just have, because at the minute my like whiskey and shit is just on a bookshelf. So if I could have actually somewhere to keep it, yeah. it'd be really cool. Nice. So yeah, but designing a bar, I'll probably start building it this afternoon. Cool. cool. Um, yeah, All I'm... out of like terrible shitty like pine construction lumber. So it will be, it will be <laughs> utterly disgusting, but I'll fake it to make it look nice. I mean, I feel like that's what old pubs are made of. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the yeah, carcass of exactly. it will just be like a standard. Um, yeah just like cabinet carcass and then actually i went to um i went to my local like sort of merchant there building suppliers and they have like a corner of the 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 warehouse that's just like absolute crap scrap so you get like the cutoffs of when they um knock down sheet goods for everyone and then there's also just like like awful like pocket doors for a fiver so they'll be like hardwood veneered yeah but just like you know the the hollow cardboard shit that's inside so terrible doors but (laughs) actually look like wood so i was thinking the panels as well so i could just use oh, yeah. those as paneling nice. so it looks like old school pub like paneling and yeah. i could just hide a multitude of sins um so I'm, I'm thinking if i can just make this thing on the cheap if i can spend nothing 
on this bar, yeah. it would be perfect. Yeah, just like you say, just a shitload of like really dark yeah. stain on it, and it'll look fine. Yeah, um, yeah, because I, I, I'm pretty sure you must have seen it when uh, you guys were over. But one of the guys I used to live with um, made a bar for the flat that we were in, oh, yeah. um, and he made it in the shape. Like if you look at it top down, it's uh, what the musical notes thing. Oh, oh, like a treble clef. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it made it in the shape, like roughly in the shape of that, and then the front of it was done in like buttoned purple velvet. And it was- <laughs> Fucking horrendous! It was nice. brilliant. It was so good. But, uh, oh yeah, yeah no. if I could get some like um, some like red sort of fake leather. Yeah. Oh, yeah. now you're talking. Yeah, and one Perfect. of those bra- brass rails at the bottom. Yeah, but like really tacky, not brass, like the plastic, like fake brass. Yeah, leather. and yeah, uh, so you can get like um, one of the really horrible. Like, have you ever seen like the swing out seats that they have that are attached Ooh, to the bar? Yes. Oh, yeah. My yeah. God. yeah, get I, a couple I, of them. I really want like. Um, the bit that lifts up, you know, from uh, Only Fools and Horses, where you <laughs> <laughs> just so I can recreate that as as because I'm thinking I might do a video of it. So if I can do the Only yeah. Fools and Horses bit, that'd be great. The the oh, most the most ideal bar seat is that swing out one where the spring is way too tough, and you like when you sit in it, it's fine, and then you oh, get it just rise up. go in and it just smashes <laughs> the front of the bar, and you. <laughs> Years and years of the front edge of the seat just digging yeah. into the bar. Everyone <laughs> ever thought about loosening this spring? <laughs> uh, amazing. That's fantastic. Uh, cool. So I think, uh, Al, you wanted to have, uh, um, we, we talked about uh, the, the definition of the, the word awesome um, a little bit in the pre-show. Uh, and I thought we might do a little bit on that now. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to... That was a terrible segue, I'm sorry. It, was, it, it wasn't even a segue. You were just describing <laughs> things. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't want to dwell too much on, like, having a go at the word awesome because I appreciate that, like, you know... I language, use it too much. You use it too much. Everyone uses it too much. Waffles has got a pet hate for it. So I don't want this to make this uh, a Waffles show. Um, and, you know, as, as we kind of said, that like, language evolves over time anyway. So the meaning of yeah. words isn't what they used to be. Um you know, but there's certain things that really, really grind on me uh, when people say literally, <laughs> you know, or, or actually, as well. What do what? Why are you bothering to say that? It's just like additional filler in a conversation yeah. that I don't need. Like, I know you mean literally, unless you like metaphorically went to the shop or <laughs> figuratively went up some ladders. Like, you don't need to use that word. Um, but I think awesome is a good one because it it it's it gives you some perspective and it gives you some like relevance to what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, like you know, I, you can watch a Bobby Duke video and it can be awesome. Yeah. Like you can genuinely be in awe of like something he's made out of something or tiny pencil that's inside a pencil. You know, it's something I've never seen before and is incredibly impressive. Um, regardless of him dicking around a video, the thing he makes is awesome. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it warrants saying something like that. <laughs> um, if something's just fucking great, like Brett, I've just finished watching your um, bench build, you know, and things like the the the, the pen rack, it's fucking great. You yeah. know, it's so simple. It's totally you. Um, you know, it was efficient and everything about it and the way you built it, fucking great. Is it yeah. awesome? No, I'm not left there like with my jaw on the floor. <laughs> and I know people use that word, um, but it's more about. Uh, yeah, just just doing the right thing at the right time for the right people, saying the right yeah. thing at the right time for the right people. If people keep telling you that everything you do is awesome, 
it doesn't it does it means the word loses meaning and it loses yeah. gravitas um yeah. so it it i think if it, whoever you're speaking to and whoever's watching and whoever's listening it's just about paying a little bit more attention and trying a bit harder with kind of the words you use yeah no definitely and and i know i'm massively guilty of of overusing that word in particular um <laughs> well genuinely <laughs> and, and and yeah Fuck off. <laughs> but the thing is is i it, it's one of those things that i i feel really bad for doing it because i love language i love yeah. uh the use of words um like i it always makes me laugh when um when my bookshelf is actually out and not in the cupboard um <laughs> like it is at the moment uh people always look through it and there's there's always this um kind of air of surprise when people see what's on my bookshelf um, <laughs> because it's it's things like it's it's judge dread and then like Sartre or something like that like there's there's a weird mix and it's it's not um it's because i, I there's a, a a guy called um ac grayling um and he's done a series of books called um i can't remember the name of but uh they're like just a, a series of of short essays and um and one of them is about the word beautiful and how that gets overused. Okay. Um, and like he's, he, he does all sorts of, and I fucking love reading them because they're, they're just fantastic examples of the use of language and how yeah. you can convey something by using the correct words. And it's something that I really enjoy doing as well. Like I, I'd much rather, despite the fact that I am on a podcast, I much prefer writing things out rather than saying them because when I'm saying them, my my head is going a thousand miles an hour, my mouth is going two thousand miles an hour, and I end up saying awesome when <laughs> I mean something else. And and yeah. and I have trouble putting uh, the thoughts that are in my head out of my mouth. Whereas if I'm able to to write stuff down, I can I can write it out quickly and then I can go back and go, right, okay, what's what do I actually mean there? Or does how does that come across and and so on and so forth and and yeah so I I kind of agree with you and I'm I'm very sorry for being the worst person ever. Uh, well, I mean, in in sort of classic um, classic Al fashion, like I'm a total hypocrite. I yeah. I absolutely I'm the same. I I fucking love etymology, and I yes. love I, I adore the the origins of words, what they mean using them in the right context and using them with, with gravitas because you understand them. Yeah. So you're not just kind of throwing words away. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, like, I don't know if you've read it there, uh, 1984. Yeah. But like the, the, the government basically wants to just get rid of words. Yeah. So instead of bad. Double they, plus. Yeah, ungood. double plus. Double plus ungood. And, and, and like to the point where I think the ultimate goal was to get down, get the entire language down to about eight words. So you're only allowed yeah. to use eight words because <laughs> um, it's inefficient and you, you, you're inefficient and you're using kind of, um, you're wasting time by using unnecessary words. Yeah. And I, there's part of me that absolutely loves that as well. It's yeah. like, it's like I'm a graphic designer, but uh, the, the opening scene of Layer Cake just has this store selling drugs and all the packs are white. And it's just got Helvetica and it's just got like cocaine written in Helvetica. And I was yes. like, this is perfect. Like, why can't all why can't all packaging like I'm a packaging yeah. designer, I'd be out of a job, but I'm like, why can't all packaging design just be white packs with what is inside yeah. written on it? Like it would make life so much fucking easier. Um so I, I have of course this this ultimate sort of walking contradiction, but um yeah, I'm the same. I I I've 
love yeah. words, but I, I find that the more you know who you're talking to and the more the audience is relevant, you, it helps you decide what to say. Yeah. Yeah, and I think audience is a big uh, component of that, right? It's it's knowing the audience and who you're trying to sell it for. Like you said, you'd be out of a job if it was just white packaging with Helvetica. <laughs> but obviously, everything that we do from the products we make, the jobs we work, the if we have YouTube channels or social media, what what have you, whatever presence we're putting out there, it's like, you know, people, clothing would be the exact same. We could all just wear, you know, a t-shirt and yeah. I don't know, sweatpants because they're the best. <laughs> and it just goes through life like that. But obviously it is, you know, everything around us is made to kind of purvey, purvey? portray or what we're trying to portray uh, in terms of our brand or our personality or like I said, the products that we do. So I, I love this idea that, you know, knowing your audience is part of it, but being hypocritical on that, it's like finding that balance is really, really interesting because I am the same as Steve. My brain is usually going a thousand miles a minute. My mouth rarely keeps up. And most, most of my closest friends know that I am bad at words. Um, if I'm writing something down or if I'm on the computer designing, like at my old jobs, if you sit me in front of After Effects, I can absolutely translate my thoughts into an animation mm. given enough time. And it's just like that I yeah. knew what I wanted to do and I achieved it. And there's a thousand terms and dumb effect names and keyframes and whatever. All of that stuff is just uh, it's the it's the language of the tool that I'm using. But if I try to describe that to somebody else, I have a tendency to just dumb it down because it makes more sense to me that way to communicate with somebody and go, all right, I'm going to try not to explain keyframing and, you know, particle effect systems to somebody. I'll just go, look, I made a shit ton of dots on the screen (laughs) and then I made them go. Yeah, it's like, like much, not, but, not patronizing, but also not alienating. Yeah, yeah you got to strike that balance. And my what I would consider my audience, you know, I I have you know few close people that I consider very very close friends, and I feel like a lot of the establishing of our friendship is based on here's how I work, sort of as mm-hmm. a person, which I'm going to use dumb words, and I have a tendency to just not speak the way that I'd like to. I'd like to be yeah. more eloquent in my speech in terms of just communicating ideas effectively and efficiently. Use less words, but say the right <laughs> things. That's yeah. difficult to do, especially for somebody that grew up in middle of nowhere, Kansas, where everyone just walks around going, well, I got my truck <laughs> and I'm going to go down on the farm. You know, everything is a four letter word or a five letter word, single syllable, you know, words. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not like I'm up against some crazy, you know, hill that I have to climb to get better at this. Just, I'm realizing more and more that you play to your audience, right? If yeah. I was, if I, every time I go back home to visit my family, it's the same kind of deal where my parents are very well educated and, and awesome people. But if I get around old mates from high school or, you know, family members that may own farms and things, it's a lot of just, <laughs> Beer, truck, good. Corn. Corn, corn. I feel like you're just being mean about us farmers now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I, I do kind of get what you mean because 
one of the things that I have to do um, in the day job is I act as an intermediary between completely non-technical people that are, you know, just working the phones in a call center to um, to the guys that are actually developing the apps and that are getting in, like right down into doing the code. And, and it's, if, if those two talk directly to each other, nine out of 10, they just, they both misunderstand each other. There's a lot of miscommunication and they end up getting angry and <laughs> blaming it on the other person. And um, so a lot of the, we, we genuinely, we don't allow the um, we've got separate channels for the technical people and the non-technical people. And we have to take the information from each one and feed it back to the other because they, they there's this real um, like grating when they try and talk to each other because they're not, they're talking in their own language essentially. Um, and because we have, we've got people that are in diff- uh, different um, offices all around the world, there is a, another language barrier as well. So we have to take what they're saying, convert it into a, a, a form that the, um, the, the devs all understand. Yeah. Um, denominator. yeah. <laughs> and then we, and then we've got to take that back and like, They'll give us all the information about right. What this is the problem. This is how we think we're going to fix it. Yeah, the yeah, other, yeah. and we've then got to feed that back to um, the other person, and and being able to 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 a um, understand both sides is massively beneficial. And I think um, it, it's not just that, but also not assuming that just because someone's on one side means that they're not going to understand something from the other. It, it, it's it's going more than just putting people in groups and also understanding that individuals are going to um, get other bits. Like we've got a few guys that work in some of the call centers that are really quite good at, at the technical side of things. Like um, there's a couple of guys that I don't know why they're not in my job because they know it better than I do. Um, but so I know when I'm talking to them, I can literally just copy and paste what the devs have said and they'll get it. It's fine. Um, and I think that goes into to other things as well. Like you, you said about, um, teaching someone how to use or talking to someone about what you're doing. Like there's no point in me talking to someone that's never worked with metal before about like, Oh yeah, well I, the grain structure of this and that, and mm-hmm. blah, 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 because they're just going to look at me and go, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's, it, sorry. Oh yeah, you go. No, no, no. I think it's following on exactly from what you're saying. I, I think in the past I was really guilty of sort of taking things for granted and taking people's understanding for granted and just assuming everybody knew what I knew. Um, Like I've been watching, um, I've been trying to get into sort of welding and learn how to use my stick welder and stuff. So I've been watching a lot of, you know, this old Tony, uh, Jody, um, and there's another channel, uh, I think it's called, just called Weld weld Tips, not Welding Tips and Tricks, but something else. Um, Uh, Yeah. Have you you tried uh, the Fabrication series? No. That's a really good one. Okay, cool. Um, I'll try that anyway. Um, but yeah, but my point is that like Tony knows his audience and he knows yeah. how to sort of exactly to your point um, either translate things or dumb things down or smart things up relevant to what he's talking about. Whereas some channels I'm watching and from the get go, they're using terminology and things that I don't know about. Yeah. And absolutely correctly because it's a welding channel and he's talking about welding. So (laughs) he hundred percent is in his right and absolute kind of, um, you know, he he should be doing that because the people watching his channel knows what he's talking about, but it sometimes just takes that one second to go, 
obviously here what here's what I'm talking about. Give it a bit of context. I think yeah. context is really important. Um and I like I, I don't want to come across as like a language snob. Like when I was a kid, I you know, I was terrible at English. I didn't give a shit. I didn't understand um the same like when I go back and I talk to my friends from where I'm from, it's like I'm speaking a different language. Yeah. And like even to the point where like other friends have been around us and gone like, I don't even know what you're what you're saying. Like, I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. Um, but it was only sort of like into my sort of late twenties that I started to appreciate the like the power the power of words. Yeah, and especially that like people actually listen to what you're saying. <laughs> like I never realized this when I was a kid. I never realized that people <laughs> were actually listening to me. Um, and just simple use of language is so powerful. And that that little bit of context or that little you know just a few extra words here or a few few less words there, fewer words. Um, and you, you suddenly the, your story is a totally different story, um, and it, it it can go from whether you're trying to entertain or whether you're trying to inform or whether you're trying to sell stuff in. Like yesterday, I was I was helping one of the junior members at work um, with his presentation skills. Like I'm yeah. I'm really I'm really good at presenting at work because um, I can I've got the, the power of bullshit and I, <laughs> and I can spin a pretty good yarn. So yeah. when it comes to like telling a brand story or trying to sell in a project yeah it's one of my like big skills yeah um but this junior member of the team didn't really have that same skill set and he's trying really hard gets really nervous um but i noticed that when he's talking about his personal projects and his passions he's into photography it's fucking amazing and he's yeah. eloquent and uh, he 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 explains things really well he speaks to the audience who don't know about photography and explains why he does certain things in a certain way and it's seamless there's not a yeah. single stutter, and it's passionate and engaging. Um, but when it comes to the client stuff, it, it, you find it really hard. And, and I was just trying to get to the bottom of it and try to work out what. And it ultimately came down to the audience and trying to tell people certain things and looking around in the room. And, and I realized that he was never looking up, and he was never engaging with the people in the room. It's like, well, that person over there isn't a designer. So me rambling on about the leading on this is completely irrelevant to that person. So they're yeah. not going to be listening. So I'm not going to engage them. Um, and so it was just a case of not not telling him how to present, or not saying, you know, this is how you should be speaking, or this is the way you should be dancing around the room and using arm gestures and body body language. It was literally just look at the people that you're talking to. What do yeah, they yeah. What, work out what they want to hear, and yeah. not in like a mani- mani- manipulative way, as in like, or just tell them what they want to hear, but literally like if you were that person, what would what would engage you? Just put yourself in their shoes because this this is a conversation. This is not like a um, a, a speech. I'm not upon a pedestal speeching. I'm trying to have a conversation with you, so you can't have a conversation if you're the person that doesn't understand what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, I um, I think that's a really really good point. So when you were halfway through that and you said about using less words, there was a <laughs> quote that um I heard on uh, Ky, and I think it was, I think it was like Mark Twain or someone like that. Um, oh, don't screw this up! Don't screw, don't this, screw this up! It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> you. Uh, but, well, no. Basically, uh, it was a bit of advice he was giving to another writer that was: um, if you're ever stuck and you you find that you, you're using the word "very," um, rather than writing "very," write the word "darn," because then uh, you'll put you'll write it down, but your edit, editor will take it out, and your writing will be better for it. <laughs> It's just like, like that's brilliant. Um, so the, basically, you use more swear words, is what you say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, because like the word "darn" does get overused. But that was um, that actually 
basically answered one of the questions I ask you to because you guys both work in um, or have both worked in environments where you're you're selling a a product to a person that doesn't necessarily understand yeah. the product. Um, and for like, I, I know obviously you guys get that, but for anybody that doesn't quite get what I mean, as in the fact that um, a, a customer or a client isn't always going to understand why you're designing things in a certain way. Um, so how do you guys deal with uh, kind of getting that across? Like if you've got, um, yeah, if, if you, if you've got a, say a poster and the client is like, well, I could get that printed on, or I could print that on my, um, uh, <laughs> at home for next to nothing. Why should I pay someone to print it out? Um, a thing like how, how do you kind of, what, how do you get, get that across the, the, um, the reasonings behind things and for doing things in that way to someone that doesn't necessarily under, understand that sort of, um, thinking brett do you want to pick this up will you do kind of paid work and commission work at the same time as yeah um that's that could turn into a gigantic my brain just immediately did like a full <laughs> it's like holy shit i could talk about jobs yeah. and work <laughs> i um, realized as i was saying it that's a, no no, no it's, it's yeah, fine I'll, 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 how do you do things <laughs> how do you why why does your business exist when i could do this thing yeah yeah um a lot of it comes down to, you know, so much about what we do is a perception thing, right? Um, why is it that I can see Steve as a more talented and learned blacksmith than myself? But just as as a blanket statement, I look at something like that and it's like, well, time, execution, understanding of the equipment, the tools, the types of steel, all of these different things. But from an outsider's perspective, look at their perception. We both just hit steel with a bit of metal, you know, yeah. another piece of steel. It's like, you guys both do the same thing. No, we don't. You know, Al, I, I've talked about it constantly, how I, I'm very impressed by your design capabilities and how quickly you can think. And, you know, when we were sitting in the pub last year at Maker Central and you were just nailing these golden nugget, you know, marketing statements. It's like, oh, my God, you <laughs> built for this. Um. It's it's a perception thing, right? If if you have somebody that has that understanding of what you do or what your capabilities of are, sorry, not of. If if the person that's coming to you for work, or you know, if it's a coworker and you work in different teams, why do they come to you to get the thing done? Yeah. Or why does a client pay you to do the thing versus doing it themselves and printing it out at home, like Steve said? So much of that is the perceived value is a big thing that always comes up. You know, why why can I make a simple steel table and why does that seem like to somebody that's never welded before, you're like, oh man, that that looks crazy. It's not, it's really not. It's it's access to the tools and the understanding of how to use them. Now, could could somebody feasibly go and start building those tables? and selling them locally, you know, here's a, here's a simple little craft table. Um, absolutely they could, but it, keeping it simple like that and trying to translate that, um, this takes very little time and effort and really it comes down to the machines. Yeah. If you've got a thousand quid to spend on a few machines with enough time, you'll get to this point. Yeah. So 
if you don't want to invest that, or if you know that you are not going to anytime soon, you can come to me. I'll build you a thing or I'll make you a thing. Al has a bunch of clients that need a rebrand. You know, like we did at my old job, it would, it would be clients coming in asking us to do the thing. That was nine times out of 10 because they had zero capability or no one on staff that could do those things. So at that point, it's an easy conversation to just say, well, we have designers, you don't, therefore, blah. The problem always came in when you would discuss money because that's always what comes up. <laughs> and why am I spending you know, $1,000 on this project when my nephew uses Microsoft Paint? He knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> and not to, not to sound like... Uh, you know, judgmental on something like that, working within the family or, or trying to support, you know, a young mind. And I loved taking little gigs and little illustration gigs when I was young, drawing, you know, family portraits for people when I was younger. But if you're paying for the professionalism or the execution, awesome. Mm -hmm. But end of the day, it's perception. I don't, yeah. I, mean, I think possibly what I was asking more is kind of like how, how you make someone that doesn't, because, there's there's a there's an understanding um, oh so i i failed to answer your question that's what <laughs> okay. i'll answer it for you so al's like brett take this you'll answer it never mind i'll take it <laughs> so like with with um with a client they, they they're not necessarily going to understand um the the processes and, and the reasons behind it like the the perceived value is is a very very good point um and but the it's kind of like, uh, like for example, the 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 nephew analogy. Like, oh yeah, but my nephew can draw this really good picture. It's it's how you make a, a client understand that that just because that's a really cool picture doesn't necessarily mean it's going to grow your brand. It's not you know it's not yeah. on on brand. It's not doing this. It's not um, showing the values that you want to show. It's just a cool picture sort of thing. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. Well, uh, so, uh, at a fundamental <laughs> level. The difference is um, having a skill is not the same thing as understanding. Yeah. So your nephew might be the greatest artist in the world, but if he doesn't know how to sell ketchup, he's not getting the job. Yeah. Because that you know that when when clients understand that my job is not a graphic designer, my job is to help them sell stuff. That's yeah. when they get on board. Yeah, and and it's making them understand that that's why we make that's why we make design decisions. It kind of takes a lot of the the magic and the the the, the romance out of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what I do. But I, I'm a commercial artist at the end of the day. You know, yes, I went to art school, um, but I'm not trying to sell political statements. Well, I do do political work, and I do kind of, <laughs> you know occasionally do things that are more oriented towards um, getting across a message. But yeah. the bulk of my, my job and the reason I get paid is because. I, I'm a commercial artist. Um, so that getting them to understand that they're paying for my understanding of semiotics, um, psychology, you know, uh, consumer research, all the things that are behind the scenes of, of design that you might not actually think about when you look at a pretty picture or an illustration. Um, case in point, yesterday again, um, I had a client, they were talking about the the perception of of their brand is that it um, lacks premium cues and it lacks value. Yeah. Once upon a time, it was the most premium brand in the market. Now the competition is catching up, and they no longer uh, are perceived as being 
this this luxury brand anymore. And they showed us competition, and I was like, well, straight off the bat, the competition is in a matte pack, pack, and you're in a glossy pack. And like from just an aesthetic point of view, I would prefer the matte. You know, that's just me. But then they're like, oh, well, I'm not investing in that. Like, I've got to change the line. I've got to um, invest in different print finishes. I can't, and we can't afford that. Yeah. So, you know, they, they, don't, they don't want to invest money in order to get, get that perceived value back. Yeah. So instead of me going, oh, and trying to sell in it from an aesthetic point of view and a design point of view, you have to play the um, quantifiables. So, uh, okay, so, so, okay. <laughs> Um, here you go. Here's research. Here's a research document I have showing you that in value hand. So when a consumer picks something up and they have a soft touch matte feel, um, it's actually uh, tactile, and they will they will they will prefer to hold it longer in their hand. Therefore, they will have more interaction with your brand. And also on a supermarket shelf, the matte pack doesn't reflect all the shitty cheap strip lighting, um, and your pack is not hidden in the a chaos of, of light and shadow and people can actually see your brand so all of a sudden you've got visibility on shelf and you've got time in the hand and they are way more important to somebody who doesn't know about design or doesn't understand design yeah. than i like how it looks <laughs> so you're going from subjectivity to objectivity which again is just so not romantic when somebody when somebody's at, at, at college and they're learning to be a designer like oh yeah i'm so creative everything's creative isn't it great to yeah. like try to sell in facts on a shelf that's the difference um can i just point out the fact that you've just because you're obviously passionate and you're um enthused about it you've just made talking about the difference between a gloss pack and a matte pack actually really interesting (laughs) and i'm just sat here with a big smile on my face going this is really cool this is really like it's it's really engaging watching someone who's passionate talking about something and and you were using um words and terminology that I wouldn't I wouldn't expect to hear in everyday um chit chat sort of thing. Yeah. But that that it it fitted the 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 purpose of the conversation and it was it was really good to see. And that's like that to me, I I'm I'm sure you guys have seen like when I get passionate about something and when someone else gets passionate about something, I feed off that passion and I really enjoy it. And that's what I find really engaging. And uh and yeah, it was just a really nice kind of illustration of the fact that just because a subject isn't necessarily uh, engaging doesn't mean that it talking about it can't be engaging. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 was, I was thinking, sorry, but just to jump in, uh, <laughs> it's a plug for you, so don't worry. Um, I, w- I was actually thinking about this earlier because I was thinking about um, Brett's posters. Yes, um, absolutely. Again. He could have gone and got them printed digitally, yeah, and they would have been acceptable. They would have just been like a movie poster that people still charge a fortune for. Um, you know, he could have got them done nice, high res, nice stock. Would have been, you know, acceptable to seventy percent of of Brett's audience. Yeah, but he doesn't want to appeal to that. He wants to appeal to the to the hundred percent of his audience who understand what he does and gives a shit about craft and the whole fact that the poster is about making things. The, the 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 finish and the material reflects the content so it's relevant yeah um and that it's that level of detail and that sort of attention to giving a shit about what you're doing that makes the difference between understanding your audience and just going along and going with the flow yeah oh, I, I appreciate <laughs> that i i was just gonna jump in 
that that means a lot, man. I appreciate that. Um, I was going to jump in on that on the tail end of Al's thought because so often, uh, especially growing up, being a kid that would just sit down and doodle in a sketchbook, um, and it, a lot of it was the environment, right? I was I was a kind of artsy kid, or got called the artsy kid growing up because I was in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by a bunch of people that didn't do any of that and had no thought process behind art or design or creative nonsense. (laughs) Now that's not, I I disagree with the idea that there was no one creative around me. There were tons of creative people. It was just very different uh, vocations or, or, you know, meeting my grandfather or, or getting to an age where I understood my grandfather's creativity, you know, and the way his brain worked was very different for, someone from the outside that would look and go, he's a mechanic. Like, yeah, yeah, there's more to it than that. Yeah. But I always try and think back to those moments where I was just a kid on a sketchbook and somebody telling it was telling me it was good. You know, oh that's that's such a good drawing for a six year old. Or that would happen. <laughs> and they weren't trying to be demeaning about it, but it was always just like you seem to have an understanding beyond your time on this planet you know whatever the hell they were basing it off of um and then as i got older and i went to art school then i was surrounded by people that were not only better than me more capable than me but had a way better understanding of what (laughs) art and design were luckily i was malleable enough to you know learn from that and realize why like compare comparing myself to the person that i would look at that drew uh, her name was Julia. I went to school with a girl named Julia and she would draw a beautiful piece of artwork in my illustration class. We'd have like a topic, you know, and be like, we have to do a drawing about this and it has to be, you have to direct it towards an audience. It has to have a style, blah, blah, blah. It's all about developing your own voice and style. She was one of those people that would sit down with one pen, one piece of paper, knock out a drawing in 10 minutes and it would just be like, don't touch it. It's perfect. Yeah. That needs to go on a greeting card or it needs to something, you know, everybody wanted her to go and work for Hallmark and be like the weird cards because it would never just be like, happy birthday. People yeah. love you. It'd be like, happy birthday. Here's a dinosaur eating the head off of a, you know, another dinosaur. <laughs> and I, so much of my brain was just like, I spent 20 hours sketching this photorealistic something or other to try and achieve some goal that I had set up for myself. Julia spent 10 minutes but I like her work more than mine. I don't, how does this work? That was my perception getting in the way of realizing that not only did she have a better understanding of her own personal style that she had developed, she'd she'd gotten there on a lot of merit and and hard work to get to that point where you could make the right line the first time, right? So when it comes to talking about things like design and creativity and its perception from the outside people, you can be the kid sketching in a sketchbook and like yeah I'm, I'm kind of reiterating on what al said but it's that understanding and those other levels is what takes you from being a guy that can doodle in a sketchbook to someone who can either creatively market their own work sell their own work you know work for a company that specifically seeks out your talents and and your uh imagination and the way that you impart your imagination on whatever the final product is. I I love that you can take somebody and go, I'm glad you know how to draw, but do you know how to art or do you know how to creative? You know, any of those people that are like, Oh, you, 
you can do this thing. So you should be good at this thing. That is not always the case. And, and I think too often we give people the capability. I'm going back to the, that client that comes in and says, I can print this at home. Like you can, but I don't <laughs> think you have the understanding of how your A4 stock in your laser jet printer at home is not going to look <laughs> like if I put it on a 48 inch plotter, you know, yeah. The, yeah. the ink itself costs $50, you know, a, an ink cartridge i'm glad you have a wireless liquid on earth yeah i'm, I'm glad i'm Eventually, glad you have yeah a 50 dollar wireless printer that you got on a you know car boot sale <laughs> from somebody that's fantastic but i want you to know that i'm not trying to be a you know snake about this and get money yeah. out of you i'm actually trying to take what you want and achieve it to its furthest degree it yeah. just so happens that I have the capabilities on my end, be it myself or the team that's attached to you if you work in a company, to achieve that goal for you. And you don't, but you know what you want. So that's a yeah. good step, but allow my creativity and my voice to speak to your audience. Yeah. And again, that, that's the that's the kind of taking things for granted. Like if if they don't know that, you can't expect them to just believe yeah. what you're saying unless yeah. you back it up. Yeah. Um Brett, you touched on something there which made me had a, a, a bit of a, an alpiphany. Um, <laughs> the, we're talking about audience. And we're talking about trying, you know, having to maybe adjust your tone of voice or adjust your your, um, your mannerisms or your colloquialisms or whatever it is that you're trying to get across the story. Um, but the way you talked then, Brett, about what you were trying to achieve with illustration versus Julia, maybe it, you were the audience. Maybe yeah. it's just what trying to do what you want. I was speaking to Rory last night and he was kind of explaining what uh, the Dirty Smith channel is about. And he was like, oh, I just want to make a channel that I'd want to watch. Yeah. You know, not trying to appeal to, you know, um, slow-mo power hammer dudes, not trying to appeal to, to, to hardcore blacksmiths. He's like, I just, I, what I want my channel to be is something I'd want to watch. Yeah. And I thought that was fantastic that he, he as in his own audience totally understood what he wanted to get out of it. Um, and, I've got a really similar story back to you with the illustration. Like when I was same sort of age, like five, six, we were at school. I think I might've told you this story before, but um, um, like an air ambulance came to school with a helicopter and like landed in the playground. Yeah. And there was a, there was a Land Rover there as well, like to, to sort of support. Um, and we all went out with class and we all drew the, the, the helicopter and the, the Land Rover. Mm. And there was kids who were great at art. There was kids who were terrible at art. Um, there was kids who were just like eating the paper, um, but then I was I was I was drawing the Land Rover, and I'm not the best illustrator in the world. You know, <laughs> I prefer much more kind of like expressive things. And even as a kid, I probably was the same. But I drew the van. I drew the Land Rover with dimensions, so I drew it in 3D. Nice. And the the teacher came over and was like, "Kids this age don't see things in 3D. That's not how they draw things." <laughs> Right, so, you know, like you know, like old medieval tapestries and stuff. Everyone's two yeah. D, and it was only like in the Renaissance, like Da Vinci was like, you know, things are three D, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And drew like a, you know a human head, and everyone's like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't both their eyes on the same side? Um, and and I and I drew this Land Rover, and, and I drew the back and the top and the side, and it was crap because I wasn't as good at art as the other kids, but that wasn't what I was trying to get out of it. What yeah. I was trying to get out of it was what I saw, um, and so so me I was the audience. I, I I wasn't trying to impress the teacher with my 
ability to understand dimension. Like I was six, right. I didn't get it, but that was what I was trying to achieve. I was trying to achieve sort of um, depth or perception or understanding of what that object was in front of me, not yeah. make it look like the object. I wasn't trying to be photorealistic. Um, even as a kid and probably didn't have any goals, I didn't have targets, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just drawing the van. Um, but thinking back on it now, the audience was me. It was like, what am I trying to get out of this exercise? Right, yeah. And I think that's really important. Like before you do anything, before you try and impress anyone or you try and put in jokes in your YouTube video that three people will get because it's some <laughs> British TV reference, yeah. um, do it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I... I I have to throw in one last little example based on that too. <laughs> Just I I love hearing stories about you know the childhood brain or or what your head was like when you were a little kid before the world imparted itself on you. <laughs> um, and my my mom actually always brings up this uh, this little story about when I was in like second or third grade because. It's her example of, I knew you were just going to be weird or different, <laughs> which I love it. I love it. But we had a project uh, given to us by the teacher, which was we already got a, a cutout of a reindeer, like the silhouette of a you know cartoon reindeer. And the teacher just said, we're putting your names on these. We're going to hang them out in the hallway, you know, for the parents to come by for parent teacher conferences. And just like make your reindeer look like you and make it however you want. That was the only direction that we got. So I, you know, probably spent the rest of the day. I, I don't have any memory of actually creating the thing, but my mom still has it. Like she kept it and pulled it up. <laughs> the thing is, my my mom walked down the hallway and everyone's looking at the reindeer, and there are a hundred reindeer all <laughs> facing to the left. And then right in the middle. <laughs> there's one reindeer facing the wrong direction Classic. Brilliant. and that was mine and you know it wasn't the wrong direction because the teacher actually admitted to my mother after the fact that she goes we never told him which side to draw on yeah so i saw the three people around me doing it you know facing yeah. one direction and i just went i don't want to do that <laughs> <Something> <laughs> <different>. <laughs> the way. that's the only reasoning i had behind it was just yeah. I don't want to do it like everybody else is. That Which, and it was a skeleton of a reindeer. <laughs> yeah, I put a skull. I put a skull on its face and made like bloody teeth on it and everything. No, it's just this weird. It's this weird little thing of like clearly there was a moment where my brain switched off. That was just like I don't want to do what everybody else yeah. is doing, or I, I want the perception of what I'm doing to be different than everybody else. Yeah, you know, it's it's a big aspirational goal that I can't say I was totally keen on at age six, but you know, it's, it's like my favorite little example of <laughs> like Al, you know, trying to draw three dimensions. It was me just going, well, I don't want to do it that way though. <laughs> and no one told me I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. man, And that's such a you story as well. I love it. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is I think like it's especially um, uh, within the maker community, like our kind of, the, the people that are listening to this, especially, we seem to be, uh, whether it was intentional or not, we seem to be kind of champions of of being a bit weird and a bit out there and and being kind of the oddball and and have you met Al <laughs> and and kind of going against people's expectations and I think that can come back into the the language side of things as well because um people uh, that to to 
go back to what I was saying earlier on about um, the like the the books that I have and and the way that I like to use language. Um, when people first meet me, I I know that I can come across as being a bit of a just a big gruff blacksmith thing. I swear a lot. I I use awesome too much and and genuinely too much, but but I I'm very aware of that uh, perception that I can give, which for the blacksmithing side of things is great, but for um, the the artistic and the design aspect of, of things and like uh, letting people or, or having discussions around that side of things, I know doesn't always work brilliantly. Um, like Al, I know that he has the perfect vocabulary for for doing the design side of things. And, and again, Brett, like I know that people are going to take one look at you and go, Oh yeah, that that's an arty guy. He can he can do all that sort of stuff. He's got but, tattoos. Yeah, <laughs> but I also know that if they if they saw like for example me, me and Brett stood next to each other, they're gonna look at us and go, "Well, if the two of them, where's that? Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> his his um, jeans are too tight. <laughs> oh, he's but got long hair. <laughs> Wait, they've got long hair. <laughs> yeah, it'll be yeah. that one. He's got long hair. He's a horrible person. And then you yeah. turn around and show these six foot. <laughs> exactly. hair monster you have on the back of your but but the thing is is they're like they they're gonna um look at you and go well he's not as burly so therefore he he he's obviously just the artist he's not the one doing the blacksmith thing it's like actually no Brett's a really fucking good blacksmith like you look at some of the stuff he's done like those uh the beaks and things like that like that requires a hell of a lot of control and and it's I think as well as um, the the physical side of things, like and like obviously that's what I was exampling there, is the the language side of things as well can make a huge amount of difference. And and I really like the fact that um, there's a lot of people in our kind of little bubble that that do defy those um, those conventions by, you know, yes, you might swear a lot, but you can still have a, an eloquent and well put. Uh, together argument against something or or you know just because you're uh, a big surly uh, dude doesn't mean that you can't make a a t-shirt that's or a shirt that's got little bugs on it and things like that like like and again it's one of the things i love about this community is the fact that there is no um that the the limits aren't there just because i'm I'm the way I am and I come across the way I am doesn't mean that everybody in the community is just going to assume that I'm one thing like they're, they're, they're willing to allow me to do more and to be more. And I don't really know where I was going with this. I just, it, it was the fact that like Al, for example, that I work for people look at him and they assume like he is um, just a blacksmith, like the way that he looks, he's a six foot five, 20 stone guy. Like he's, he looks like a blacksmith, but then they get talking to him and realize that he's an extremely well ed- educated guy and he's extremely articulate and he used to be a jeweler. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing It's like, it then comes back to the fact that he used to make jewelry and like all this little tiny stuff. And it's, I, I love um, like going back to uh, the story that I can't remember whether it was in the pre-show or not, but the, the person that wrote the, uh, the, the tweet and then got had to go yeah, out for using. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, so yeah, wrote a tweet in standard, like text speak sort of thing. Uh, someone complained. You speak in it. Yeah. Uh, someone complained about the 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 death of the language sort of thing, and then 
then coming back and being like, well, actually, no, I, here's my PhD. Here's this, here's that. And, and use a load of really eloquent language to, to put that person in their place. And I, yeah, I guess I just like the fact that a lot of our uh, community kind of defies those expectations, whether it's around language or anything else. And it's, it's just nice to see. Well, there's, there's a common fluency that while you're talking, that's all I could think of is that when you're fluent in something, it's much easier to be passionate and well-spoken about. Yes. Versus trying to discuss something you don't know very much about or that you're not very fluent in. So obviously you look for the lowest common denominator and it's really easy to stand in a blacksmithing situation with other people that don't know anything about swinging a hammer and just go, right, you know how to swing a hammer. Here's how to swing a hammer better. (laughs) Yeah. There's no, you're not talking about, you know, force or, or, uh, properties of the steel or what hammer you're using specifically because of the shape and the ergonomics or whatever you just you go right start from lowest common denominator here's how to swing yeah you start from there you build up your fluency in it right it it makes it easier for me to have discussions with you now about certain types of steel and everything because we've gotten to that point so i feel like our discussions in terms about uh in terms of form and production and steel usage and hardening and everything that that's all technical jargon yeah a a year ago it would have been difficult to have that conversation with you eloquently or efficiently because it would have gone i got steel how do i know how hard i can get it yeah versus you know al working with pneumatics and everything like that i bet he could have a pretty proper discussion with a client that comes in saying right we sell uh pneumatic machines that do this well al has a better fluency of that now so maybe five years ago, he wouldn't have been able to talk about their product and how it could be better marketed versus nowadays developing fluency yeah. leads to an end game. I th- yeah. And th- th- there's a quote from Training Day that's always stuck with me. Like, I love that film. Um, I've not seen it for years. But <laughs> it, it's when he's first in the car and he, he makes him smoke the crack. And he's Ouch, like, yeah. to be truly effective, um, a good narcotics agent must know and love narcotics. A good yeah. narcotic agent must have narcotics in his blood. And, like, I use that quote all the time at work, like, to people who are far too young to have ever seen Training Day. Um, <laughs> but the point is that you you can't be eloquent about something and you can't be passionate about something and you can't understand something and therefore you can't argue the point about something unless you really fucking give a shit about it. Yeah. Um, you can pretend. You can fake it. You know, this is why I was terrible at, academia because i didn't care about the things they were trying to get me to do i didn't do any revision for my exams because i it was just copying things that somebody else told me then feeding them back i didn't see the value in that um whereas i do see the value in things that i care about and i understand so if a client comes in and is you know in waste management i don't know anything about waste management but i have to fucking learn and give a shit and become obsessed with in a very short space of time (laughs) poo <laughs> you know <laughs> and then all of a sudden i can go into the room and i can be like, oh yeah did you see this did you see that do you want you know and and i have to be so flexible with in my job because you you can't design packaging for things or you can't design a brand for something if you don't know about it and if you don't care about it so that the idea of you know you must know and love narcotics i've always loved that quote yeah. um so it, it's the same with anything you know if you want to get into something if you want to have a conversation about something get obsessed with it I mean, I I thought you were going to go with 
King Kong ain't got <laughs> nothing <laughs> on me. <laughs> Goddamn um, ass! Shut me in the head. Uh, yeah, like I, I think that that's a, a really nice uh, kind of example because I tried to say something and just blurted out a load of words and didn't really make a coherent point. Then uh, Brett came in and kind of formed it a little bit better and made it a little bit nicer and made it a bit more understandable. And then Al kind of came in and, and polished that even more and actually made a coherent point that made sense and was good. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, was not preach, good. I'm not preaching like being, you have to be eloquent. No, like, no it, there's, but, there's yeah. the other extreme of like fucking Russell Brand where he just, he just pretends to be eloquent. Yeah. To get laid. You know, it's yeah. not about. It's not. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying everyone has to be fucking have a linguistic degree. And, and you know, back to the point about the Twitter thing. Yeah, um, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you you, you have a much more greater chance of getting across your point if you're passionate about it. Yeah, and and the thing is, if you're passionate about, if you're genuinely passionate about something, and you genuinely know and understand something, yeah, you can you can get across a very very valid point and and a very um, impassioned point. Uh, using very simple language and you know even if it if it is like every other word's a fuck yeah, yeah like you can still get that point across and it doesn't need to be all fancy and 10 syllable words to to be eloquent like, well we, we talk about how like how good a teacher you are steve just because of our, our experience of you teaching us um and it's because you're fucking passionate about smithing and you know about <laughs> smithing and you understand it you understand it being the most important thing you know yeah you don't have to be you don't have to know everything but understanding it is what's important and most of the time you just ramble, but when you when it comes to talking about something that you're passionate about, you fucking every word is is like gold, yeah. and every word is important and has gravitas and has meaning, and that's why you're good at getting across a point and teaching people. Thanks, man. Well, we've we've discussed it before uh, about the teaching thing specifically, but I, I love walking into a situation with that naivety or that <laughs> naive thinking, which is imagine I know nothing. Yeah. I wonder what we'll know tomorrow. I'm sorry, but <laughs> yeah, if you, uh, I think somebody at my old job was the first person to say it, um, which was probably one of the more intelligent things that this guy ever said, because I hated him otherwise, but it was, it was like, how, how do you explain our, how do you explain what we do to a six year old? Yeah. You know, or, I think Jess even brought it up at some point in, in one of the episodes, maybe the one with Rory, but it's like, I, I don't necessarily need to explain how to do my job to a six-year-old because they have absolutely no understanding of yeah. what that means. But it's, can you translate this in a simple enough way to be playing to your audience? You're talking to a six-year-old. Don't talk to them like they're a baby, yeah, but yeah. talk to them like they have a little bit of understanding and knowledge about the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah. play to your audience. If you want them on board and passionate about what you do, then it's not like you said. It's not about being super eloquent in a linguistics degree. Yeah. If I'm talking to Berkey, I just want to be able to talk about pirate stuff and <laughs> being an absolute weirdo. I mean, the thing is, it's like because I think you, what you're saying there is is absolutely right, and it goes back to what I was saying about um, Russell Band. Like, just putting filling out a conversation with a load of words. If it's all just fluff and f- yeah, if it's just fluff and filler, it do- it doesn't mean anything. If you're if you really want to get the point across, and like you say, you just boil it down to its bare minimum, its basic ingredients, and that's what you talk about. That's every everything beyond that is just fluff, and 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like in um, school, people. I favorite word, favorite word, overused word in art school was juxtaposition. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that word so many times. I I hated it. If you don't know where something I, should I, be, I it should fucking just... be there. <laughs> <laughs> don't call it juxtaposition. Um, I'll tell you what. Do you know what my the fact my favorite? You word use is? two different colors doesn't make them a juxtaposition. <laughs> the wrong. Ready, uh, should never be seen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you know what my favorite word is? Spiffing. Spiffing. <laughs> People that we think that are spiffing. So this week we are. Uh, gotta say, okay, cool. Otherwise, people don't know that we'll come back. <laughs> I fucking hate you so much. <laughs> you have no idea how much this plays in my head now. <laughs> I um, hope it does. Uh, to be fair, absolute bastards. Uh, because Al saw <laughs> a Starfinder estate, we are going to go with Sab this week. So that means that I'm guest. Uh, so I'm going to spiff um, Joe, as in Joe Garnett, as in the guy that I work with, um, because not because he made me a very nice blade, uh, but because I. Uh, I a have a lot, a hell of a lot of respect for him, um, and what we were talking about about um, kind of going against people's expectations earlier on as well. The fact that um, when people see me, Alex, and Joe, they always assume that Joe is the 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 like young apprentice. You know, he's you know we we just bring him along, whereas in fact he is far superior to me in terms of skill level um, and. In some respects, he's on par with Alex um, for certain things. And wrist diameter, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, bless him. Uh, but not only is he uh, incredibly skilled and defies expectations like that, but also the fact that he's he's fucking yeah. He's a he's a big dude for someone that's so short. Um, but he's. He also does. So a lot of people, um, sorry, assume that because he does blacksmithing and bushcraft, he's just yeah. They assume a lot of things about him. Um, but the fact that he does uh, gymnastics as well, and um, he's he every Thursday, I think it is, he does uh, he has opera lessons um, for singing um, and little things like that. And I, I yeah, I've got a lot of respect for Joe. I I love seeing him kind of defy people's expectations and he's also very very well spoken because he's from oxfordshire <laughs> he speaks properly uh so yeah i think joe is spiffing very um, nice um just to take it away from blacksmithing uh i think my yeah <laughs> 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 uh, it's not blacksmith related but my spiffy just, just on the, it's not <laughs> my spiffy is rory um, and the reason that I want to spiff Rory, not the reasons in the past because of, of things he's done, but if we're talking about sort of knowing your audience and, and being flexible and the way you kind of articulate things and the way you present information, um, I think Rory's an absolute champion at that. Yeah. He has his kind of hilarious side. He has his um, side where he's educational. Um, he has his, you know, a, a fantastic way of, of giving expert insight into things. Um, things that are way way above my pay grade um, and but he also has a fantastic approach to teaching beginners and and sort of really bringing down 
his skill set to a level of, of understanding from somebody with absolutely no understanding. Um, so in, in terms of knowing your audience, I think he's fantastic. And, you know, summarising that is his ability to to spin a yarn and tell a story. Of, I w- my, my aim in life is to be able to tell a story in a way that Rory does. And I think yeah. uh, that, that's a really a fantastic way of, of judging how somebody knows their audience is their sort of st- storytelling ability. Um, so Rory Spiffing in that capacity, nothing to do with his blacksmithing or anything like that, just his ability to judge and, and know his audience. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's a shit blacksmith anyway. Crap. Yeah. It's all copper. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, yeah. no, that's, a, that's a really good shout and an extremely good reason. Um, Brett, you're last. Yeah. But you're first um, to me. Oh, are you also frozen? So, <laughs> any other business? I, I'm going. <laughs> I thought that was just an awkward silence. I didn't realize he's actually frozen. Oh, you guys are terrible. <laughs> I hate you. Um, I am going to spiff uh, the the guy that I first started a wood shop with, or or when I first thought I really wanted to get into making things. Um, his name's Nick Shiguri. He's in Kansas City, and he's he's actually one of the main uh, people behind the Maker Village KC. It's the makerspace in Kansas City, which didn't exist. Like, we never had places like that or spaces, workspaces like that for a maker community growing up. I'm sure my life would have been a lot different if that was the case. But Nick, when I started with him, uh, we the first thing we built was a workbench. So it's very adequate to like spiff him now that I just made another one, but that workbench still exists there. It's, mm. it's unbreakable and it's, it's a <laughs> nice little quality workbench, but Nick has gone from, you know, just being a guy who wanted to get into this to, he took th- three years, I think to go in Vermont and apprentice learn. He now makes some of the most beautiful furniture and he's a guy that y- you can honestly, you could sit in a pub with him and just talk idle nonsense for hours and hours. He's one of those guys that's just jovial and, and good to be around. But when it comes to watching how he's translated skills <laughs> and what he's now teaching people, he's now become a a voice for what it means to be like a low level, want to get into woodworking and just in six years which seems like a lot but you know in six years he's gone from we had a table saw and like a chop saw and now the guy is just churning out amazing amazing stuff and taking that as far to actually educate people because he his attitude is very much just like he wants to give back and he wants to be able to create space for people to work in and we had the joint effort of attempting that six or seven years ago. And I love that he stuck with it. It took me a little bit longer to come around, but his name is Nick Shiguri. He doesn't have a YouTube channel or anything, but it's S H I G O U R I. Nice. It's a good and, job. You thought it out. Cause Steve doesn't do shouts anymore. Well, he's, uh, he's got this crazy, like beautiful aesthetic and everything. And then if you see a picture of him, it's just like everything that we were talking about. If you see a picture of him, you're just like that guy. So where would he be on Instagram, for instance? It's Shiguri Woodworking. Nice. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure if you just... uh, He might just be under Shiguri. Yeah, it's just Shiguri. He's super talented. He makes beautiful stuff. And then when he found that I was working in Jish, 
he he like blew his mind. He's like, wait, what? Because <laughs> he, I guess he had been following Jimmy for just as long. Yeah, nice, crazy. Uh, cool. Love there that guy. Anyway, uh, any other business? Yes, I think um, when we're on while we're on the su- subject of woodworking, um, I was listening to the Sandpaper Cast the other day, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, I think it's just uh, important that we we let Joel know that woodworking is a dead art. I hope he's got a plan. I hope he's got a plan going forward. I I genuinely I had so many arguments about why he was wrong <laughs> with myself on the drive. You're not um, wrong. <laughs> it's like him saying that there's no new tools like being done for blacksmithing. Well, that's like saying that. There's no new tools being done for woodworking because they all just cut wood. Yeah, he kind of Fuck. did. He was like, yeah, nobody's making any new hand planes. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Technology. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, actual <laughs> any other business. Um, I made a terrible mistake last week uh, when I was talking about the, the vice that I attached to my bench. Um, I said that old man Jim sent me a device. Uh, I was utterly wrong. Uh, he did send me advice, but it was the uh, the machine advice that he sent me, not the woodworking advice. Uh, so it was actually Matt from Matt Makes Mess, hey. uh, who is a lovely bloke. He was also the guy who sent a lot of the toys that I used um, for the uh, toy surgery last year at Maker Faire. Uh, so all the recycled and kind of unwanted broken toys. So thank you very much, Matt. Apologies. And uh, Jim, stop trying to take credit for other people's kindness. Yeah, Jim, you bastard. Uh, have you still yeah. got all the toys? Uh, yeah, nice. well, yeah, yeah. No, I've got, I've got all the ones that I've kind of made into the modular stuff. But then there's a whole yeah. bunch of like parts as well. Yeah, need he to had be... like four boxes at the yeah. house when we were trying to do the hack shack. I've used <laughs> like, um, like some of the like dolls' arms and legs and stuff as hooks in the hack shack. But other than that... <laughs> amazing. The little, the my favorite one is still the baby, baby arm hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> you high five when you walk in. Like, what's up? High five. Yeah, we, we definitely need to get a photo of you dressed as uh, Sid from Toy Story. Yes. Uh, cool. I well, have... Yo, average Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, Wrap it uh, up. Yes, sorry. Whilst we're talking about uh, languages, though, I have a oh, huge mistake that I made. Eh, kind of. Oh, yeah. uh, I have a huge mistake that I made uh, last week as well. I apparently can't pronounce names. So... It's not. It's not Terj. It's it's Terrier. Terrier. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, for those of you that aren't in the group, there was uh, a bit of a conversation uh, about my awful pronunciation of Terrier's name, uh, and uh, and yeah, um, it ended up with the point where he actually had to to do a video of him saying his name so that people would get it right because <laughs> everyone was like, "No, this doesn't make any sense." Uh, oh, it- full circle! Full circle alert! What, what? His channel's called Awesome in Progress. Oh, shit, yes! <laughs> Brilliant. That is fantastic. Oh. Um, but yeah, I, I still can't pronounce it very well, but uh, I am going to keep trying so that when I finally meet him in person, I can actually say his name properly. Um, right, I think that's it then, because we have we have gone full circle, uh, which is awesome. <laughs> I wish you could all see Al's face there. <laughs> uh, so, uh, wrapping it up, if you want to get hold of us, you can find us on all of the usual social medias. You can find me at Moonshine Metalworks. You can find Brett at Scumspay13. And you can find Al at Al's Hack Shack. Oh, 
Uh, I can say that on autopilot now. It's great. Um, if you want to get hold of us as a group, you can also get hold of us at fwtpodcast.com. Uh, we are on Instagram at fwtpodcast, and you should definitely go check out all the fucking awesome uh, thumbnails that Al does for each and every episode. Um, normally of Brett looking ridiculous, which I am a wholeheartedly a fan of. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and of course there's the Facebook group which is the best Facebook group there is uh, I think that's it is that it? I've got any, any, any other business um, go listen to this week's or which will probably be last week's by now um, episode of Makes International Podcast uh, they had a guest on called Rob absolutely fantastic story on there um, super nice guy he came across really well but it's a really good episode and most of it is just one story that he tells and it's great so go and listen to that brilliant well um, but yeah, don't listen to any other episodes because they're no. all terrible. Or any other podcasts because they're all Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. See you later, guys. Bye. Twenty-seven and a total nut job. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think he'd be a really good guest.